What's up, Ace 12? How you guys doing tonight? Yes. Well, I'm so excited that you're here kicking off night one of Goliath Must Fall. And, uh, and so let me tell you a little bit about this series. We're going to be talking through the life of David. And so tonight, I'm going to be talking about David and Goliath. Next week, we're going to be talking about David and Bathsheba. The week after that, David and Nathan. The week after that, David and God. And it is going to be an awesome series. we got some cool stuff planned throughout this series as well. Some surprises for you that, uh, that I think you're going to enjoy and, and uh, like being a part of. So tonight, I, I want to do something a little different. I want us to go ahead and just right off the top, just jump right into the story. And so if you got a Bible, pull it out. Open up the 1 Samuel chapter 17. On your notes, it says 1 Kings. Change that to Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 17. If you're using the Bibles underneath the seat, it's on page 285. 285. And so uh, we're going to be in this story a little bit. And I want you to get there. I'll give you a second as you go. And this is the story of David and Goliath. Some of you may have heard this story before. Some of you may have heard it several times. Some of you may be familiar with it. And the more familiar with this story you are, I think the more you're going to get out of it. But uh, I want to I want to just dive into this thing and I want to show you some stuff tonight. And you're going to be challenged, I promise. So get ready. You're going to be challenged tonight. I believe God has uh, a message, a word to say to us tonight through this. And I think this is so appropriate Coming off of our conversation last week as I was sharing vision for 2015, and I told you guys that I feel like the word for this year is the word fight, that I feel like God's been challenging me. I need to fight to be in the gym. I need to fight to be in my time with him. I need to fight for my marriage. I need to fight for my family. I need to fight for for everything that's important, and there's all kinds of things in our lives that we got to fight for um, that, that we have to chase after, and I challenge you, what is it in 2015 that you need to be fighting for for God? And so tonight, as we talk about a big fight in uh, the fight of David and Goliath, and I want to I wanna just read it to you. I'm going to kind of go through uh, almost a whole chapter, and it's a pretty big chapter, but I want you to follow along. I think you can because you're mature enough and you can handle it. Here we go. He starts out verse 1. Now the Philistines gathered their forces at war and assembled at Sokoth and, Ju- and Judah. <clears throat> they pitched their camp at Ephes Damon between Sokoth and Ezekah. Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah, and they drew up their battle lines to meet the Philistines. The Philistines were their armor bronze weighing 5,000 shekels, which is 125 pounds. His armor alone was 125 pounds. On his legs, he wore bronze greaves, and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod, and his iron, pointed, and his iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield bearer went ahead of him. Verse 8. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of the Israel, of Israel, Why do you come at me and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? Are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistines said, This day I defy the armies of Israel. This, that's important. Remember that. We're going to come back to that. Give me a man and let us fight each other. And on hearing the Philistines' words, Saul, who was the king of Israel, and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Then we're introduced to David here in verse 12. I'm not going to read this part, but let me tell you a little bit about what it says. It says that it talks about this guy named Jesse, and he had a bunch of sons. And David was one of his sons, and David was his youngest son. And Jesse had several of his sons that were off at war with Saul here with the Israelite armies. But David, because he was the youngest, was stuck back at home being taking care of the sheep, taking care of the farm, and he was being a shepherd during this time. 
Now jump into verse 20. Early in the morning, David left the flock and the care of the sheep, loaded up and set out as Jesse directed him. So his dad says, listen, I want you to take some bread, some cheese, some things out to your brothers who are on the battle lines, take them some food. So J David gets ready, he takes off and he goes out there. When he reached the camp, as the army was going out to battle positions and shouting the war cry, Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines and facing each other. David left his things with the, with the keeper of supplies, ran to the battle lines and asked his brothers how they were. As he was talking to them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped up uh, from the lines and shouted his usual defiance, and David heard it. Whenever the Israelites saw this man, they all fled in great fear. And so this is perplexing to David. He can't figure it out. Why is it that every time this guy comes out and shouts, the entire Israel army flees and they're, they're scared. They're running with their tail between their legs. And so David begins to ask some of the people around there, hey, what, what will Saul do? What will the king do for the man who takes out this guy? And they say, well, he's going to give, you know, he tells them all the stuff that he's going to give him. And his brother overhears this conversation that David's having with some of the soldiers. And his brother says, hey, man, stop meddling in their business. Man, you're the youngest, you're the younger brother, you're too insignificant. This is not something that you need to be meddling in. You need to go back home with the sheep and hang out with the sheep. And, uh, and so David, um, uh, David is, uh, David's a, a spunky little bugger. And uh, <clears throat> David basically uh, begins asking people around and he, the word gets back to Saul. And Saul says, I want to know who this guy is who keeps asking about going out to battle. And so David comes to Saul and meets the king. And the king says, so, dude, you're just a boy. Like, there's no way you can go out there. And David's like, dude, just give me a shot. He's like, I know that I'm just a boy, but the God of the armies of Israel is with me. My God will rescue me. And I want you to notice what he says when he says here in verse 34. David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion and a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, rescued it from the sheep's mouth. When it turned to me, I seized it by the hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both a lion and a bear. Talk about a stud. The, this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. Now, I want you to notice the power and the strength in which he says that this happened, in which he says he thinks he can get victory. He says, the Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of the Philistines. Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. Then Saul dressed David in his own armor, his own tunic, and put on his coat of armor and his bronze helmet on his head. So now David's wearing the king's armor. And David fastened the sword in the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. He said, I cannot go into these, Saul, because I am not used to them. So he took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand. He chose five smooth stones from the stream. He put them in a pouch and a shepherd's bag. And, he, and, and with his sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. So I want you to picture this. The, the armor of Saul, the king, was too big for David. He's a boy. He's a kid. He's a young teenager. And so he can't, he can't go out to battle against uh, Goliath in this armor because he can't move. He can't go anywhere. And so David goes out. He finds five smooth songs. He grabs a sling. And you think, why in the world would this kid go out to battle against a, a massive soldier with just a sling and stones? What we know a little bit about the history of this time is that kids grew up using a sling and they were unbelievably accurate and unbelievably powerful. He probably hunted with a sling on a regular basis. It provided meals for him. This was not, this was not something that he was not accustomed to using. So he felt very comfortable using a sling as a weapon. And so then verse 41, <clears throat> meanwhile, the Philistine with his shield bearer was in front of him, kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy. Glowing with, glowing with health and handsome, 
and he despised him. He said to David, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give you your flesh to the birds of the air and the wild animals. And then this is my favorite part. Actually, I'm not going to read it now. I'm going to read it to you in a little bit. So I want you to picture a little bit of this scene. I want you to picture what's going on. You have this dude who is, a, who is nine feet plus tall. He is a thoroughbred fighter. This guy has been fighting since his youth. He is the best fighter in all of the Philistine army. You know what I'm saying? Now, I don't know if, if, that, uh, if that intimidates you and all, but it intimidated the entire Israelite army. It intimidated the entire army of God. They were, they were afraid, and, and I don't blame them for being afraid. I mean, this guy was a stud, and as, a custom, the, as the custom was in this day, basically what they would do is, is, that, is that they would go out to, and they would draw up the battle lines. There would be an army on one side, an army on the other side, and in order to prevent massive amounts of casualties and bloodshed, they would each send out the best fighter from their armies. They would fight each other, and then the losing army of the, the fighter that died, the losing army would then submit to the authority of the winning army. And this is how they would do battle. This is why when the Philistine comes out, hey, are we not Philistines? You know how we do battle. And so when Goliath comes out and he is shouting out to the Israel army, he is not just saying, we want you to submit to us. But what he's saying is, is that our God is greater than your God and our God is going to beat you today. That's what he's saying. And he does this for 40 days straight and no one goes out to contest him. 40 days. Not only that, but the Philistines believed that the God of Israel was the God of the hills. And so when you read this story, you see that the Israelite army's on one hill, the Philistine army's on the other hill. There's a valley in the middle, and every day he would go down in the valley. And he was basically proclaiming to the Israelite army that, listen, your God might be good up there, but you won't come down here because your God is worthless down here. This was a major defiance, not only to the, to, to the Israelite army and God's army, but this was also defiance towards God himself. Now, I know what some of you guys are thinking. I would have went out there and took him out. No, thanks. <laughs> this guy's a thoroughbred fighter, right? Let me put this in perspective for you. I'm a huge UFC fan. Any UFC fans in the house? Yeah, I'm a huge UFC fan. I watch like almost all the UFC fights. And, and, uh, and <clears throat> over the last, uh, you know, uh, 20 years or so of the UFC, um, there's been one fighter that is, has emerged as what ha he, has been, he has been called the greatest fighter of all time. The greatest fighter of all time. He is a thoroughbred fighter. Now, he's not nine foot tall. He, he, he actually uh, weighs 185 pounds. Now, he is such a beast his name's Anderson Silva. He is such a beast that he actually jumped up a weight class to fight the former uh, light heavyweight champion, Forrest Griffin. Now, this guy is a stud. He's tough as nails. He has been in some of the best fights and wars in UFC history. 25-minute fights. I mean, just slugging, slugfest fights. I mean, this guy is tough as nails. But he's never fought Anderson Silva before. And I got just a little clip because that's all it took of Anderson Silva and Forrest Griffin getting their fight on. 
Check it out. Silva, aggressive here in round one. Confident in his striking. Look at the hands low. Yeah, I think Ducks he really under. does. Oh, oh, down goes Griffin. I think he really is trying to send a message Looking here, Looking to finish the fight. Look at Silva. I mean, that's just oh, amazing. He's and again. again. He's out. He's out. And it is all over. Anderson Silva wow. has knocked out Boris Griffin. Wow. Here we see him. Look at this show. shows complete disdain for the striking ability of Forrest. Look at that right hand. Look at that. I mean, that was just like a paw. He just slapped him, and that was it. Look at this. Bang. That's what did it. I mean, that's incredible. I mean, that's a walking away right jab, and not even a very hard one, it looks like. I think Forrest was already badly, badly hurt before that happened. That's one of the reasons why he looked up at the clock, but, I mean, this is one of... I love Forrest Griffin, but this is one of the most embarrassing knockouts I think we've ever seen. Well, I think you bring up a great point, though, Joe. He was hurt not once, yes. not twice, and that was basically the third strike. Yes. Say, dang. Say, if you ever think you want to get in a fight with one of those guys, you're crazy. And Goliath was a thoroughbred fighter. A thoroughbred fighter. He was the best of the best, the greatest fighter in the world of his time. And here's the first point. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. I am more like the army, of, the army and Saul than David. I am more like the army and Saul than David. See, I think oftentimes when we read the story of David and Goliath, we picture ourselves as David in the story. And then I got these giants that I need to slay, so I'm going out and I'm, I, got, I got to go out and slay my giants. And we picture ourselves as David in the story because the truth is we all want to be the hero of the story. We all want to be the one who's standing triumphing at the end, standing over the, the giant that we've just defeated. But the truth is for most of us, we relate more to the army of Israel. We relate more to shaking in our boots. And let me give you an example. I, I remember when I was in high school, 1999, my senior year of high school, some of you guys weren't even born, which is kind of crazy. There was, a, there was a tragic event that happened that sort of rocked the nation. It was a shooting at a high school, Columbine High School in Colorado. Two students with pipe bombs and guns went into a school and basically assaulted a school. They killed 13 people, injured dozens more. And there's stories that sort of rose out of that experience of several students uh, that was reportedly asked during that time um, by the, those that were making the assault, are you, are you a Christian? Do you believe in Jesus? And they said yes, and then they were shot and executed. And every since that time, and I've, I've heard those stories, and every since that time, and I look around the world, and I see, you know, uh, the massacres of people that are going on because of their belief in Jesus, like from ISIS and Boko Haram and, and religions all over, and, and places all over the world where terrorists are just wiping out groups of people. And, and I look at that, and I think, man, what would my response be? And it's so easy for me on the outside when I don't have a gun to my hand to say, yeah, man, I will stand for Jesus like, yeah, like, man, Jesus is my, he's my guy. Go ahead, take me out. You're never going to get me to deny Jesus. 
And I think that when I'm, I'm not in that situation, it's easy for me to think that I would be bold, that I would take a stand in that moment. But the truth is, is that when you are in the moment of fear, when you are in the moment where, where you got to make a decision to stand for something, that's when who you are truly made of comes out. And this is what I've discovered. I don't know what your response would be in a scenario or a situation like that. But here's the question I have for you. How do you stand even when it is not as intense as someone holding a gun to your head? How do you stand for God even when it's not a life or death scenario or situation? See, I think and I have noticed among students that the fear of death is not in the picture. But the fear of your reputation the fear of how people think about you. You guys have the opportunity every single day when you're at school to take a stand for what's right, to take a stand for Jesus, to take a stand for goodness. You you have an opportunity almost every single day to do that. But we're afraid. Oftentimes we're just like the army. And other times we're like Saul. Remember what happens to Saul in this? Think about it. Saul is the leader. Saul is the king of Israel. He's the leader of the armies of Israel. If anyone is responsible for these 40 days of defiance against God and God's people, it is Saul. Why hasn't Saul stepped up himself and went out to battle him? We know that Saul was a great warrior. Why hasn't Saul chosen one of his great warriors to go out there? And it's interesting when David comes to him and David says, says hey, um, listen, I think I'm, I'm going to go out here and I want to fight this guy. What does Saul do? Saul goes, hey, man, that's cool, dude. You want to try my armor? Saul was so quick to give over his armor. Saul was so quick to allow David to step in and fight the battle that was designed for Saul to fight. I think that some of you students in this room, God has raised up to be leaders. God has given you responsibility. God has given you positions of influence. God has put you in this place for you to make a difference in the life of people around you. Yet oftentimes, when it is time for you to step up and take a stand, when the battle lines are drawn, you're like Saul, and you're just you're passing that off, hoping that someone else will pick up your armor and do it for you. Students, I want to challenge you to step up. And I know what some of you think. It's not my fight. It's not my fight. It's not my problem. And I'll remind you that there are things that we need to stand up for. Biblical things. God-honoring things. And when you say it's not your fight, God says, I'm not so sure I'm not so sure. It wasn't too long ago in our history when there were Christians in this country and pastors in this country who when had the opportunity to stand up against slavery didn't do it. They had the opportunity to stand against slavery, the demeaning of people, the dehumanizing of people. And they didn't do it. And some of them said, it's not my fight, it's not my problem. In Nazi Germany, six million Jews, six million, massacred and slaughtered in death camps across Germany. 
by Hitler's regime. Where was the church? I'll tell you this, there were men of God. There were men like Diedrich Bonhoeffer who were standing up, who wrote the book, The Calls for Discipleship, who was killed for standing up for Jesus and standing up for the Jews and standing up for what was right, standing up for God in Nazi Germany. But there's a book called When a Nation Forgets God who tells a story of a church that was in Germany and one of the guys being interviewed that was from this church. And I, I want you to hear this story because this is so powerful. We, we often think that we would stand up, that we would fight, but what happens when we're actually put to the fire? He says this, I lived in Germany during the Nazi Holocaust. I consider myself a Christian. We heard stories of what was happening to the Jews, but we tried to distance ourselves from it. Listen to that, underline that. We try, or list, write that down. We tried to distance ourselves from it because we could, because what could anyone do to stop it? A railroad track ran behind our small church and each Sunday morning, we could hear the whistle in the distance and the wheels coming over the tracks. We became disturbed when we heard the cries, when we heard the cries coming from the train as it passed by. We realized that it was carrying Jews like cattle in the cars. Week after week, the whistle would blow. We dreaded to hear the sounds of those wheels because we knew, we knew that we would hear the cries of the Jews en route to the death camp. Their screams tormented us. We knew the time the train was coming, and when we heard the whistle blow, we began singing hymns. By the time the train came past our church, we singed at the top of our voices. If we heard the screams, we sang more louder, and soon we heard them no more. Years have passed, and no one talks about it anymore. But I still hear the train whistle in my sleep. God, forgive me. Forgive all of us who called ourselves Christians yet did nothing to intervene. Would you have done something? Would you have done something? Or would you have sang louder and louder and louder to drown out the sounds of what God would be calling you to do? Students, we have those opportunities all the time, in front of us all the time. Will you take a stand? The second point, if you're taking notes, write this down. David decided to fight, and this is important to get, David decided to fight for God years before he ever fought Goliath. David decided to fight for God years before he ever fought for Goliath, or years before he ever fought Goliath. Think about this. David, David is, as I mentioned earlier, he was, he was the youngest boy, so he was the shepherd. He was back at home. And let me tell you something. Shepherd was not like the, yes, I want that job. Shepherd was the lowly of the low. He had a low job and a low life. He basically just hung out all the time on the farm. This is where, uh, you know, uh, pe uh, the pop poor people were. Like, shepherd was not like, like, yes, I want to do that for a career. But he was stuck doing this. He was the youngest. And he probably felt like he was insignificant and people treated him like he was insignificant. And you can even tell this when he goes to the battle lines and his older brothers begin to make fun of him. His older brothers begin to put him down. They begin to treat him as insignificant. 
And I wrote this down. I think I, I, I just want I want you to hear this. David was the little brother, too young for battle. He was tasked to watch the sheep. Many, many would say David's life was insignificant. We know David as the greatest king in Israel's history, but he was not always the king. He had a lowly life and a job as a kid and a teen. Some of you in this room can relate to David, and you feel insignificant. You feel unloved and that you've gotten the shaft. David got the shaft. He had to do what no one else wanted to do. But notice, David doesn't walk away from God when he got the shaft. He goes deeper with God. Day after day, as David was watching those sheep, his relationship with God was forming. David's core relationship was his relationship with God, and that would prove to lead him and guide him throughout his life. And we see this in Scripture, that David is called a man after God's own heart, that David loved God, and he began forming these things in him when he was in the valley, when he felt like he got the shaft in life. And this is what I've learned. What I've learned is, is that when you were in the pit, when you were going through difficult times, that is sometimes one of the most difficult times to turn to God. That is one of the most difficult, that is one of those times where you often want to fall into depression. You all want to, you often want to go, woe is me. You often want to isolate yourself. And David did the exact opposite. He drew near to God. He went deeper with God and he allowed God to work in his life. And God began forming in him Things that when he went out that day to battle, he was able to respond the way he did and stand for God because he had already been standing for God for years before up to this point. And that leads me to the third point. David decides to take a stand when no one else will. David decides to take a stand when no one else will. And he doesn't, doesn't just take a stand for Israel, but he takes a stand for God. No one is going to go out to battle. No one wants to fight this thoroughbred fighter. No one wants to fight Anderson Silva. And he goes out and he goes out um, uh, and says, listen, this is what I want to do. And this is what I want you to hear. David has no concern for his reputation. No concern for his reputation whatsoever. See, this is not going to potentially cost him a few friends. This is not even going to potentially cost him getting ridiculed, which he did. He got ridiculed by his brothers and by Saul. Man, this decision could have cost him his life. But David was willing to put his reputation on the line because he loved God and he knew that he wanted to fight for God's reputation over his reputation. Because think about it. The, the Philistine was shouting out at the Israel of God and basically what he was doing is he was putting down the army of God and he was putting down God himself. And the Israelites, because they would back down every day, it communicated to the Philistines and everyone that they would tell all around them, it communicated that the Israelites did not believe that the one true God had the power to overcome. God's reputation was on the line in this situation. And David stands up and says, I will put my reputation on the line for God's reputation. This is what I've learned about doing high school ministry now for 15 years, 13 years in the church. For some students and some students in this room, your reputation is the single greatest reason that is preventing you from following God and living out all that he has for you. You've, you've spent a lot of your life building that reputation and you don't want to sacrifice that reputation. 
Because here's the deal. When you give your life to Jesus, your reputation is going to change. And it's not going to change because you're going to change your reputation. It's because God is going to begin to change you. And when he changes you, your reputation is going to change. And I know that's a barrier for some of you. That was a major barrier for myself. But I want to challenge you and encourage you. Put your reputation on the line. Allow God to do something in you that you can never do on your own. David could have never done this on his own. He did not defeat Goliath on his own. In fact, David did not defeat Goliath. The fourth point I want to say is this. David did not defeat Goliath. God did. David did not defeat Goliath. God did. A lot of times we picture this story like David is, is us and we're in this battle and we have these giants in our life and I need to go slay the giants in my life. So I'm going to strap on my boots and I'm going to go after it. And I'm going to do this thing and I'm going to beat all this stuff and I'm going to knock it down. And you need to understand that the core of this entire passage here is that David did not defeat Goliath. God did. Remember what David said earlier when he was talking to Saul and he says, listen, this lion and this bear came out as a, you know, when I was a shepherd and I protected. And he says this in the verse, in verses 34 and 35. And he said, it was by God's power that I killed the lion and the bear. And it is by God's power that I will kill the Philistine. Which leads me to my favorite part of the story, which we didn't read a minute ago. So if you got your Bibles, you can look over there. Verse 45. I want you to notice the power in which David comes at him. He says this, David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I'll strike you down and I will cut off your head. This very day, I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and of the wild animals and, to the whole, and the whole earth will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by the sword or the spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord and he will give, it, he will give all of you into our hands. Man, that's like a brave heart scene. I mean, can you picture that on the battlefield? You come at me with sword, spirit, and javelin, but I come at you in the name of the Lord Almighty. And today, he's going to deliver you into my hands, and I'm going to feed you to the birds of the air. Smoke. Dude, that's so bad. David fought to honor God even when no one else else would, and God showed up. David now stands over Goliath with his head cut off. He's killed Goliath, and he stands over him with his head cut off. And it's a symbol that God is not only the God of the hills, and he's not only the God of the valleys, but he is the God over all creation, over everything. And the same God that gave David victory in this battle is the same God who lives in us and works through us, the same God who sent his son Jesus to die on the cross, to be buried, to be raised again on the third day. And the whole message of this passage is is that through Christ, through Jesus, through God, we can do anything through his power that he gives us the power to overcome. He gives us the victory. I mean, think about it. If Jesus can defeat death, There is no problem that you have 
that is too big for him. No situation, no sin, no struggle, no matter what it is, if he can defeat death itself, then he can defeat and give victory over anything in your life. I wish that someone had told me this earlier on in my life. It would have caused me a lot of heartache. And I'm telling you, every single day, every single day, I acknowledge him as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And I ask him to give me strength. I ask him to help me get victory. I battle in prayer over the stuff that I have going on in my life. Because as I talked to you guys about last week, I'm not perfect. But I'm one of his warriors. I'm one of his children. And if you call yourself a follower of Christ, so are you. So are you. So I got a few questions for you I want to close with right here. And we'll have the band come up. Here's the questions. Are you willing to stand when no one else will? Are you willing to stand when no one else will? And the second question is this. Are you willing to put your reputation on the line? Are you willing to put your reputation on the line? David was. And I think that until you put your reputation on the line, God can never do anything in your life. And here's why. Because until you put your reputation on the line, you've never surrendered and submitted to him and you care more about yourself than you do about what God can do for you and in your life. And the third is this. Are you willing to go deeper with Jesus in seasons where you get the shaft? Are you willing to go deeper with Jesus in seasons where you get the shaft? And last one is this. Are you willing to submit to God, God's strength in your life? I want you to write this verse down. John 15, 5. This is a verse I want you to memorize. This is a verse I want you to meditate on. A verse I want you to think about over this next, uh, this next week uh, as, we, as we go through this series. And I want you to think about this. No matter where you are in your spiritual journey, whether you say, man, I, I'm like all in for Jesus, or man, this is my first time. I'm just trying to figure this thing out. Man, I'm not sure about this kind of stuff, but I'm, uh, I want to check it out. I want you to notice what Jesus says. He says, I am the vine and you are the branches. This picture that he's the vine and a branch must be connected to the vine in order to have life. And he says, I'm the vine. I'm the source of life. I'm the place you find life. And you are the branches. And when you're connected to the vine, everything's all good. And I want you to know what he says. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Have you been trying to live your life apart from the source of power? Apart from God. Tonight, I want to challenge you to turn that around. To press in. To go deeper. So God, I want to pray over these students tonight. I thank you, God, for the truth of your word. I thank you, God, for the example of David. God, we look at David and we see his life and we are just amazed by what you did. The greatest king in Israel's history. But he didn't start out that way. He started out as a young boy, dismissed, insignificant, a shepherd. The lowest of low. 
But it was in that time in his life that he formed his relationship with you that brought him to some of the most amazing victories that we're still talking about even today. And I, God, I just pray that during this season of these students' lives, all of them, man, this is a forming time in their life. You're forming them academically. They're forming physically. They're forming in every way in this time of their life. God, I pray that they would form themselves spiritually, that you would form them spiritually, that they would press in deeper to you, that they would walk with you every day. God, I know there's students in here tonight you've given the banner to take some leadership like you did Paul, like you did Saul and they've been just kind of pushing the armor to the side and I pray God that tonight they will make a decision to step it up to share your love to share about their faith with the people around them and God I pray for those students in here who are hanging on to their reputation they care more about what their friends think. They care more about what everyone around them thinks and their popularity than they do about you. And so, God, tonight, I pray that you would strip that away, that you would draw them near to yourself. And, Lord, that they would do business with you during this next song. God, we thank you for your goodness and grace. We thank you for your love for us. In Jesus' name, amen.